you're in with the ghost of radio. Welcome to this podcast where we talk about mid-century horror radio. We don't listen to it here. Some people have commented on that, that they expect to hear the episode. That would make each of these podcasts about two hours long, knowing me, your ghost, and how I like to go on and on. So I don't play the episodes here. I trust you to go off and listen to them on your own at one of the many, many places you can listen to them. And I like to support those places, even though they are not run by ghosts. You can hear almost everything we talk about at Relic Radio, which has two sites for horror radio, one called The Horror and one called Strange Tales. And then you go to Internet Archive and you can hear almost everything And then there's a special site for Quiet Please, which is organized by some fans, and it's just called Quiet Please. So now that you remember just what it is that we do here and what we do elsewhere, let's get into the cauldron, which is what we do here. We've got the cauldron full of episodes, and what are we pulling out today? All right, it is another Lights Out Everybody episode called Revolt of the Worms. That's Lights Out, everybody. The show is Revolt of the Worms. Oh, I believe that you will be happy. Go off, listen to it, come back here. See you soon. It's October 13th, 1942. World War II is raging. You turn on your radio late at night to escape a little bit with Lights Out. Arch Obler bringing you another in our series of stories of the unusual. And once again, we caution you. These lights out stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. And now, if you haven't already done so, turn off your lights now. And listen to Revolt of the Worms. can do is sit and think and wait. Wait for the floors to lift and the walls to crash. Facts. Think of facts. Yes, a journal of facts. Think how it began. Why it's happening. Journal of facts until the walls crash in in the thick flesh. Charles Prentice. There's a fact. Chemist and fool. Fool. Run away. Run away. Run away. Run away from reality. War. 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 Run away. Well, it is lights out. So you knew that you weren't really going to get any respite from the war. Just like Charles tried and failed to find an escape from the war. And we enter the story as he teeters on the brink of annihilation. And... We're right back into it. And this is the magic of many of the Lights Out episodes that horror, especially in this episode, is, if not supernatural, then definitely supernormal. 
it's a sci-fi science gone wrong kind of story but it is tied directly to the real life horror in the world and it is a morality tale not just for all human beings full of our hubris but particularly for those human beings who believe that they don't have a role to play in the war and they don't need the ironized yeast tablets so they can keep working at the factory or dancing with the GIs. People who think they can just go on with their personal interests while the world goes down in flames. You know Arch Obler is not down with that. And so everyone who goes along with Charles, willingly or not, is going to pay the price along with him. The young assistant, you're not going to feel bad that he's the first victim of the worms. Claire, she may have been an unwilling conspirator, but she was a conspirator nonetheless. She went up there to live with him. And so they're all going to go down, and the person to suffer the most will be Charles, since he was the root of all the evil. I like working with you, sir. Why, up here, it's almost as if we were out of this world. Out of the world. I wanted to be out of the world. Hide. Until it's over. Yes, why not? Why not? What are you going all the way up there for, Prentice? To do my work, of course. But who cares about propagating new varieties of roses at a time like this? The times have nothing to do with it. I'll do what I please. I'll do what I please. But, Prentice, to leave suddenly like this, it doesn't make sense. Roses are fine in normal times, but a chemist of your ability? In times like these, certainly there's more productive work that you could do. I'm not interested in your opinions. I'll do what I please. You hear me? Do what I please. Do what I please. This sense that there should be no longer in these times any individual, no I in the team fighting the Nazis, the only I is in allies, it's brought back over and over again, but in a very effective way, it gains in dread each time you hear it rather than becoming repetitious. And it's particularly effective the next time it happens for the way it concludes. A chemist of your ability. Times like these are certainly must be known. Oh, no, I wouldn't think of that, I told myself. Wouldn't think of that. Roses. Yes, develop the greatest rose in the world. That would be my answer to them. While they bombed and burned, I'd develop the largest rose the world had ever known. And when the world settled down again, I'd come back and bring the rose to them, and they wouldn't care if I had run away. My plan. Why does it go wrong? Claire, why does it go wrong? Claire. Oh. Dead. You're dead. They killed you. In any creative writing course, the first thing they will tell you is not to use such direct language that if you want to create atmosphere and emotion and suspense, etc., you wouldn't just say, you're dead, they killed you. But you'll find that the best horror radio does exactly that. They use very simple language, and because everything is well-written and because of the milieu around it and the context, it works. One of the best moments in a Quiet Please episode is where the main character is being told to kill his wife because she's discovered a secret of his. And the person telling him just says, you should take your knife over there and put it in her. It'll make her dead. You should make her dead. And this weird child, like horrible child-like language is extremely effective. It stays in your head for a long time. You should make her dead. Your knife can make her dead. Blah. That's the sort of thing happening here, and especially in Charles' narration. But his 
attempt to be kind of scientific, like I'm just going to relay the facts of what happened, and one fact is that Claire is dead, it doesn't make it any less horrid. As the story unfolds day by day, it moves very rapidly. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every 60 to 90 seconds another day has passed as we are sped against our will up to the present moment where we know that he's on the brink of apocalypse. We learn that he's putting hormone solution onto the roses to make them grow faster. Young Jackson, the assistant, says, where do I throw the extra? Where do I throw the extra? You have to ask yourself why there's any extra. doesn't seem very scientific to make too much. But at any rate, we don't get an answer to that question. Where should I throw the extra? And then one night, uh, Charles surprises Claire walking outside. God knows he didn't ever want to spend any time with her. He would have avoided running into her if he could have. And she slips on the ground. And he says, what's the matter with you? And she says, it's slippery. And for some reason, he's extremely dubious about this. Maybe it hasn't been raining lately. So he strikes a match to see what the problem is. Charles, stop grabbing. What? <laughs> worm. What? Can't you see? Just ordinary earthworm. Mat crawlers. We just walked over a few of them. Now you women with your fears and your squeamishness. Walked on a few worms and you make more noise and more fuss. Yes. I remember. Friday night. The, the extra hormone solution, where will I throw it, Mr. Prentice? Mr. Prentice. I'll admit the first time I heard this episode, I wasn't really putting two and two together as much as I should have been. I wonder if you were. But Jackson's been throwing that extra growth solution out the window, apparently. And again, with the best horror, it's what's left unspoken that is the most frightening. If the, was it that there were so many worms? I don't think so. I think it's that already the worms were very large. For you to be walking in the dark and almost slip and fall because you stepped on an earthworm, that is not how things work in the normal, natural world. They were already probably a little bit big, and it's a wonderful foreshadowing. The lack of caring you know, this is the hubris of worms. <laughs> what threat could they pose to mighty human beings, especially scientists? Well, we find out just how big that threat is going to be. And of course, the real horror is that, as with the best of these episodes, it's not just Charles and his horrid little gathering up at the lab who are going to be annihilated. This is an end of the world episode, and we get to hear a little bit of the beginning of that end. Saturday, and then the night. Jackson! Jackson, where are you? Jackson, I told you to stay in the house. Jackson, where are you? Time to feed the plants. Oh, Jackson is feeding the plants in an indirect way. His disappearance, which you could rationally attribute to him deciding to get out of there and maybe go do his part in the war, is, of course, not about that at all. And Charles' indifference, or just his irritation at the disappearance, just heightens our own feelings of concern. There is one final opportunity for a moment of reckoning or change of heart for Charles that is offered to him by Claire after Jackson is gone, but he doesn't take it. 
And it's nicely done because while she's talking to him about the boy, by whom she means Jackson, she also starts saying about the voices. And you get the strong feeling that the boy and the voices are all stand-ins for the world out there, for every boy, for every person who is being murdered by fascism. Every boy, every person who is dying in the cause of right is crying out, and Claire hears it. But of course, Charles does not. And therefore, his last potential chance at salvation is thoroughly lost. Well, so what am I supposed to hear? There's nothing. Hello out there. Hello. Well, what now? Listen to what? Listen. To what? I, I thought... You heard the wind whistling through the cracks in your brain. Come into the house. It's so particularly horrible when he says the wind is whistling through the cracks in your brain. It's so mean. It's so cruel. And it's unusual because you know that there are many sexism fails in mid-century horror radio. And usually the only time a woman is cut any slack is if she's a beautiful woman who has been wronged in some way that you would get upset that a beautiful woman has been mistreated. Claire is not a sympathetic character. She has become a drudge because of him, and while we might pity her, she's not somebody you would like to spend a lot of time with. Yet, Obler writes this episode so that when he says that to her, you just feel anger and revulsion and a powerful sense, if you are a ghost like me, that you'd want to throttle this guy And so you are fully brought on board for the destruction that's coming to him. But remember, Claire, even though you hate the way he treated her, she went along. And I was just following orders is not going to be an acceptable defense when all this is over. And so she has to go. Give me the lantern, Charles. No, I want to see. The house is back there. Turn around and go back to it. Go ahead. All right. All right. Come out, I wouldn't have seen. And my head. Stop! 
Stop it, stop it, stop it, Claire. Stop it. I can still hear you. I can still see you. Your body down in that hole. As I ran toward you, suddenly I saw that something else was coming toward you. Something that glistened, wet in the moonlight. Something long and slimy. A great twisting snake. Yet not a snake. Not a snake. And the fear in me made me fall to the ground. And I saw as I lay there, I saw. The thing moved toward the hole in the ground as if you weren't there. As if it were blind and couldn't see. Like a great blind worm. It was a worm. A worm, ten, twenty, no, thirty feet long, crawling in fright to its home in the ground. And it moved toward you, Claire. Covered you. Crushed you. Everything about that is so intensely horrible the sound effect of her voice in the wormhole where she's either getting soil in her mouth or you have the feeling worms are already working on her in there. That sound effect of her muffled cries is so terrible, especially when you hear her as he says, now the worm's coming back to the hole. You can tell she's saying no, no. Unbelievably powerful and well done. It's good radio acting from the man playing Charles Oh, wow. I play that in its entirety because that's how you listened to it, right? That's how you listened to it, cramped down onto your sofa in October of 1942 with the lights out all over the world. Before the end comes, we do get one nice description of, one nice summary of human nature's disregard for what it does to other innocent creatures who live on this planet in his description of how those innocent worms were turned into monsters, were forced to soak in poison because of his human goals. The hormones you threw away soaked into the ground and into them. Hundreds of little worms burrowing under the ground, soaking into their flesh, into their life process, miraculously increasing the growth of them until overnight they grew and grew without limit into those terrible horrors. It seems only fair to acknowledge Charles' own role in the horror that he has created. Well, we drive to our inevitable conclusion, and somehow what we've just heard doesn't really prepare us for it. And they are still growing. I can hear them. For the last two days, squirming around the house and over it, great monstrous pieces of slimy flesh squirming and writhing. Hundreds of them, thousands of them, burrowing under the ground and at night coming out of the ground. I have seen them, a sea of flesh, a sea of worms. Yes, I hear you out there, you worms. You were under the ground and now there's no room underground for you till you come out of the ground. The world was yours first, so now you're going to take it back again. The world for the worms. 
the house. You're lifting it. The walls will fall and crush me and I'll be dead and I want to be dead. Yes, now I know why this is happening to me. I thought I could run away from the world and what is happening in the world. You hear that, you worms out there? I thought I could run away. still there? I remember vividly the first time I listened to that. It's not the only time on Lights Out where you will listen to someone narrate their own death and or the death of the world. There's so much packed into those four minutes. The worms are destroying the world. He's dying because of what he did. The worms are killing right when real people in the real world are suffering and dying to save the world. This man's greed has doomed the world. That's one pretty big correlation. Remember that at first when he sees the worm holes out in the yard with Claire, he says they look like bomb craters. So just as the fascism in the world is our own fault for being fallen humans, fallen human nature, so these worms are Charles' own fault. He tampered with nature, 
Same thing happens when you tamper with nature is when you tamper with democracy and decency and all the things that keep this world natural and livable for us as humans. The sound effect that was used for Claire being smothered is used again for him. He's just saying worms, worms at the end, and it becomes more and more muffled. You seem to hear him go down the throat of one of those worms. Ugh. And of course, there's no escape for you. It is later than you think because this isn't stopping there, right? Worms will soon be coming to a location near you. And that is the horror of Revolt of the Worms. It is a classic, lights-out horror, classic episode. And I know that you enjoyed it. And now we all need to be left on our own to get our work done and focus on what we want to do for another week until we meet again. I hope you're able to safely walk up to meet your ghost of radio and that you don't fall into any holes. Until then, as best as you can, play it safe, be happy, and I'll see you soon.